What's up? This is Otaku Beef. I'm Zid Raw, Z-I-D-R-A-W-V, and I'm your host. Today we're going to be talking about Spider-Man Homecoming, as that's really what's on my mind the most. I went and saw the movie last night. We saw it in XD. I did not see it in 3D, so if you're looking for 3D insights, you will not find them here. I'm mainly just going to be talking about how the movie made me feel, what I thought, how the storytelling was, all the things that I can think of. And of course, because I don't feel like being delicate with what I'm discussing, there's going to be spoilers kind of throughout. So I'll just tag it in every single one. There's going to be spoilers. There's going to be spoilers for Spider-Man Homecoming. I'm not going to not spoil the movie. So I would say go see it. Come back listen to the podcast. The podcast is not going to have the cool music and stuff. You have to listen to it on Anchor Live, but you're still going to get my insights about what I felt like the movie was, which we know is important just because whenever I go and I listen to a movie or I go and watch a movie or listen to an album, it's like it's still in my brain. So it's like I want the movie to continue or I want the discussion to continue. So this is my contribution to the zeitgeist that is the Spider-Man Homecoming review. So right off the top, I really like the movie. I think the movie is one of the more solid film experiences when it came to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I have a feeling that because of how it's structured and because of how real it felt it's going to have a little bit more staying power than um, Doctor Strange, which is a movie that I also loved. When I saw Doctor Strange in theaters, that one blew my mind. I was like, this movie is amazing. This movie is incredible. It's super trippy. It's uh, really interesting performances from Benedict Cumberbatch, from all the cast. I'm not going to get in deep with that. It has some of my favorite actors. It has Shuidal Ejiofor, who's one of my favorite actors. And I'm excited for what he's going to do for the second film or for Infinity Wars and stuff like that. But when you re-watch Doctor Strange, it's not as fun of a re-watching experience as I would have anticipated. And it's hard to pinpoint why. I think maybe there wasn't as much depth to the characters and some of the character relations as I had relationships as I had as I had hoped so maybe it was the fact that some of that stuff was a little bit surface level that Mads uh, Malkinson who plays the villain didn't really have the gravity of a villain uh, to hit the hero right where it matters most he hits the world where it matters most but he doesn't hit the hero where he matters most he's not killing him like on a personal uh, deep emotional sense that's really what matters why the Joker is such a great villain for Batman in the Dark Knight is because he's attacking the hero where it matters most he's going after Harvey Dent he's going after Rachel and then the stuff in the city is cool but he's doing it in a way that affects the hero whereas Mads Malkinson is not really He's doing something that's kind of happening over there. And the stakes just aren't that personal for Doctor Strange. So that's 
probably why the rewatch, those things combined, is probably why the rewatch isn't as satisfying as uh, some of the other some of the other Marvel superhero movies, like Civil War. Very satisfying on rewatch. Very very personal, even though it's a very big story. Um, yeah, let me not name them all, but you get what I'm saying. That is one of the weaknesses of Doctor Strange, but it's also one of the strengths of Spider-Man Homecoming, where I feel like Spider-Man Homecoming, I'm going to go see it again this week. I feel like the experience is going to be that much more engaging and enthralling because of how personal everything is. It's big, but it's big in a way that matters to Peter Parker, the character. So that's why I feel like it's And I think I really want to get into character because that's really kind of what matters. So what I like about this movie is that I feel like this is my Spider-Man. Some of you may know if you listen to some of my previous episodes, but my Spider-Man is Ultimate Spider-Man. I'm going to explain. That was a Spider-Man that I connected to the most because I was around the same age when it first came out back in like 2000 or something like that. I was like 16 and the main character of Spider-Man is 15. Just like in this movie, he's 15. They kept the character as a kid. He's in high school, but he's not about to graduate and then go to college and then be an adult to make the audience more comfortable. He's a kid. And so as a kid, the issues that he deals with are ones that are important to high schoolers. Being popular, being a loser, that girl he likes, the girl who may like him but he's not sure, his best friend, having fun, worrying that he's gonna get in trouble at school, at home, stuff like this. And it doesn't treat them as non-issues takes them seriously where it's like look you got detention you can't just leave you're in trouble he gets home he's outside saving the world he's turning flips he's catching like uh bullets in his spider web he's doing all this stuff and then he's scared that his aunt is going to catch him sneaking back in it's pretty funny and it's pretty cool because If a kid who really loved and respected his aunt and didn't want to worry her, but still knew that he was like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm made for, for, for something. This is how he would act because you know how it is when you're a boy, you can be like the baddest football player at your school. You're still scared of what your mom is going to say to you. You're still terrified. Because you don't want to get in trouble. Because mainly because you don't want to disappoint her. You don't want to worry her because she did everything for you. Just like his aunt did everything for him, your mom, your dad, whomever. That's reality. And that's the connection that you get. When I, when I remember reading the old Ultimate Spider-Man pages, he was literally dealing with the exact same issues that I was dealing with in real time. Trying to fit in, trying to get a girl, trying to uh, not seem uncool, trying to dealing with being awkward. That's 
just the reality. And that's why a lot of kids like myself at the time were so connected with him. That's why a lot of kids were so connected with the original Spider-Man when it came out. Because Stan Lee was like, look, he has a lot of problems. He deals with issues. He's not Captain America where he just seems to make the right decisions. Where he seems to know how to command himself on a daily basis. He's not Iron Man, tech whiz, billionaire. But he, he he's trying to be. He's trying to be like these guys. And as a result, he overextends himself. That's, that's almost like his character flaw. And I feel like it was captured beautifully in this movie. Just the, the, the touching nature of a 15-year-old who wants to get it so bad. He wants to fit in so bad. And he knows... He knows that he could any second just run out to the, to, the, to the basketball team and just start dominating, run out to the football team and start dominating, and he could be loved and popular and everything. But that's not what matters at all. What matters is doing the right thing. And even when he tries to do the right thing, even when he tries his damnedest to be good and be what other people want him to be, he still screws it up over and over and over again. And that's character. That's how you write this type of character. He's Spider-Man, but he's still a kid. So kind of been staying in the theme with with character with everything that occurred let's let let's talk about a little bit of the characters in, in in depth aunt may is that's the moral quandary for peter aunt may is always the one whom peter is trying to protect and she is basically microcosm uh, representation of New York City, the kind, good, helpless, quote unquote, citizen that just wants to go about their life and be a good person and just make it in the world. That's whom he's protecting every time he goes out and he saves somebody's life. And him being like the teenager that he is. Him protecting anybody, in a sense, is him protecting Aunt May. And it's really interesting where they made Aunt, Aunt May, they, gave, they, made, they brought in Marissa Tomei, and they made like a hot Aunt May. So all these guys are always hitting on her, Tony Stark is hitting on her, etc., etc. It's very interesting and fun new quandary for, um, for Peter Parker. In the sense where Aunt May has always been kind of elderly and she's always been kind of enfeebled and he's always like worried about, oh, she's going to get sick and oh, she's going to, um, she's going to die and oh, there's something we can do and, you know, she's always in the hospital. But we've already kind of dealt with that situation. What if Aunt May was just a really cool parent, really concerned and really just wanted him 
to kind of like live up to his potential and she worries about him and he worries about her but it's not in a sense like she's like a super delicate flower and if he's not there then she's done for I thought that her character was really good and how she, how Marissa Tomei played the character felt really real um, driving him to the party him and his friend Ned him uh, coming home knowingly screwing up and she's like yelling at him but she's like just tell me what's going on just let me know and then he tells her sort of but then she just consoles him like immediately there's a lot of there's a lot of fantastic beauty when it comes to the soul of the story when Peter went to go buy that sandwich from uh, the deli and he has some back and forth with the guy and they're talking and everything and then later on, so we have a personal connection with this street corner because we like the guy, we like how he treats Peter Parker the hero, which essentially, he's the surrogate for our feelings, so it's like the deli guy is treating us really well, so we're like, oh, he's a cool guy, I like that guy, he looks after us. And then to see his store get devastated like that, that's in a, a, an emotional quake. That grounds us to reality. In a, in a very, very solid way. So I think the storytelling in this was really, really, really excellent. Um, the broad strokes especially. I felt like they, the storytellers over at Marvel, I don't know who wrote it, they know what works. Not just in the Marvel Universe, but with people, with character. Where you have to make things relevant to the main character, true. They have to ring true and the situations can kind of revolve around him in a realistic way. It's not like someone just ran to a high school and was like, I'm going to take out this high school. Who's the strongest person in this high school? And they're like a bad guy. No, they made it. They brought, they brought things into the high school in a way that mattered. Let's jump into that, actually, in this next... When we make the next cut, like this app lets me do. Let's talk about how... Peter, as Spider-Man, is the generator. He's the he he generates his own of his own problems. Like he he meddles to help, and he helps, but new problems are created for him. So he has to carry the burden of his problems as he relieves the burden of other people's problems. Very well done. This is like masterful storytelling at its finest that I really, really enjoyed. What's going on? I'm Zidra. This is Otaku Beef. Let me continue on with the Spider-Man Homecoming review slash spoiler session. Everything will be all spoilers all the time. If you're just tuning into the live broadcast, no, I'm spoiling the hell out of this movie. Spoiling the hell out of this movie. So, if that's not your thing, go watch it. Come back, listen to the official podcast that's going to be up on the podcast app later today and on Anchor later today as well. So, Spider Man, what I love about this movie, which is the same thing that my girl did not love, is Spider Man is a screw up. He has all these powers, he's insanely strong, he's super durable, he it's crazy acrobatic. He has all these skills that 
a lot of people would just die for. We would admire, we would love. He helps so many people, so many people all the time. But he causes crazy damage. I loved what they did. What? What? Okay, here's what was so crazy about it. What I've never seen in a Spider-Man movie is that I've seen it in the comics every now and then, but they put Spider-Man in situations where it's like, yeah, you may be Spider-Man, but this is real. This is reality. So he sees like an explosion going on. And so he's at a party. He has to leave the party. He's got a suit. So he takes off running. He dashes out the suburbs and then he shoots his web. There's no buildings. There's nowhere for him to climb. If he's not in New York, he doesn't have as easy a time getting around as he does anywhere else. In New York, he's zooming in like the suburbs where there's golf courses and like all this shit. Where's he going to go? He gets to, he has to run across the golf course, dodging sprinklers. Brilliant. He finally finds the guys. He, they run from him. He is, he webs the van. So the van is driving and then he's basically skiing by having his webs attached to the van being dragged along behind it. The guy, the driver is turning left and right. Spider-Man is trying to chase them down, but the, 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 the web is making him go left and right and crash into stuff. He's damaging mailboxes. He's breaking a bunch of stuff. He's busting up people's yards when he's like, this isn't working. I'll just do it on my own. So he tries to run, go through people's lawns. He's like splashing people's pools. He's like ruining like the barbecues. He's leaving damage. He's not perfectly dashing and like and like uh, uh, avoiding everything and then leaving like a bow tie on like someone and like leaving a new hat and like giving a girl a kiss. No, he's fucking up over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then when he catches them, vulture sweeps in and shoots him into a lake. Basically, he releases his parachute or the system releases a parachute for him hashtag Tony Stark and then Vulture throws him into a lake and then Spider-Man is trapped underwater in a parachute and he's fucked he doesn't get out of that situation he can't get out of that situation he was going to die but the Iron Man suit rescued him that's what I'm talking about Spider-Man is not great at being Spider-Man yet he's in that in-between stage where he's he's he has his powers but he doesn't quite know exactly from, he, he doesn't have the experience of a Tony Stark. He doesn't have the experience of a Captain America. All he has is the bravado of youth. And that's exactly how it would play out. So it's pretty cool how, despite the fact that he's a superhero, Tony Stark is basically, he's. You know, big bro in him. He's daddy in him. He's he he's he's cool uncleing him. He's saying yes, yes, you're cool, you're great. He's still looking after him because he knows. Tony Stark knows what other people don't know that even though he's a superhero, he's just a kid. Sometimes kids they don't think, you don't see straight. You you take bite on bite off more than you can chew, and you reprimand them, but you know you know they just don't have the experience and. 
that's the brilliance of this character is that he's a kid and he's still screwing up. So let's talk about Vulture. Now it's interesting what they did is that he never really named himself and I think the only time they really mentioned his name was when Tony Stark called him Vulture. And, you know, Spider-Man was uh, brilliantly trying to go after him and put pieces together. Tony Stark tells him just stay out of it, stay out of it, stay out of it, which is obviously movie cliche mistake number one, which is the only thing where it's like, yeah, it happens all the time in films where main character says no one listens to me and then Tony Stark or whoever is the other person says just stay out of it but they are listening to him but if they had just told the main character hey stay out of it I'm sending the FBI don't worry I am listening to you then the main character wouldn't have been in that situation but they obviously can't communicate that bit of data because then there's not as many instances for the main character to screw things up to the degree that is needing to make this story dramatic. So I felt that's a little bit of a cop out, but we kind of they kind of let it pass because of how the character of Tony Stark is. He's kind of flighty and and loopy and gone all the time, and he's doing a million billion things at once. He's trying to do all these super calculations, and he's in India, he's in Russia, he's dealing with um, Captain America, how he's a criminal. I really liked, I really liked how they made Vulture relatable. Shows him at the very beginning of the movie. He's our cold open. So they have... They have uh, Michael Keaton. If you may remember him from The Founder or from Birdman or from a bunch of other stuff. He's a construction... I guess, what do you call it? The guy who's in charge. The foreman the he owns the the company and they're contracted with cleaning up the i think it's the avengers tower or they're cleaning up just parts of new york and they have a big contract and government comes in shuts them down it's all hush hush it's all secret and he says well hey you know i had this huge contract all these people they they have families i got a family what about us being paid out? We need money. And they say, too bad. We can't help you. So he's basically out of business. They just pushed him in. He comes to find out the company whom brought the people in to clean up was working for Tony Stark. So he was like, isn't that funny? Tony Stark can come in and destroy the city and then get paid to clean it up. It must be nice to be rich. So he's thinking about his family. He's thinking about his uh, his other his people's families. And so he's like, "Hey, we still have some tech, and I got a tech guy. I have an idea." And then fast forward to eight years later, and he's basically going out, creating these super grade weapons and selling them at a high price to criminals. And that's kind of what sets things in motion. You could even say that Vulture wouldn't exist if not for. Tony Stark and his company if they had just let him do the job that he was paid to do and if they had paid him off he wouldn't have needed to switch over if Tony Stark had stepped in and said hey 
I know you guys were contracted. I'm going to take care of your, 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 your payment. Here's the money that we owe you. He would have said, thank you. And then he would have been like, you know what? That's a good guy. He's a stand-up guy. But he didn't. Didn't, didn't dot that I, didn't cross that T. And a, a lot, a lot of things like that happen. A lot of the organized crime guys that get into that, if it's not historical, if it's not just in their bloodline, it's because they're just trying to find some way to take, like they're desperate. And then after their desperation, it's just too easy. So they keep doing it. I thought this was a really interesting take because Vulture became one of the more relatable bad guys in the MCU. He was trying to do a job as he saw it. And Spider-Man was just in the way of that job. He wasn't trying to kill him at first. I mean, he was, but when he found out who he was, he wasn't. He's like, look, just whatever. This is how it is. This is who I am. Very interesting. I don't hate the character. I feel bad for the character. So let's talk about some of the cool things that I really liked in the movie. I really liked how they kept the movie true to the character. Uh, Right off the bat, that, that bank robbery scene... It really felt like it was pulled from an issue of Ultimate Spider-Man because it was. There is a scene in Ultimate Spider-Man where a bunch of guys who are wearing Avengers masks, just like those, a plastic mask, are robbing a bank. He swoops in, and they do a bunch of they do they do a bunch of uh, a bunch of nonsense. He talks he talks crazy, and then he. Um, he basically webs him up, situation under control. In the, in the comic, Geldof, this random character, like causes a huge explosion and like fucks shit up. And in this, the bad guys have their own weapons, you know, from um, uh, Vulture, and they cause a crazy explosion. Real consequences. It felt like. I was 16, 17, however old I was when that came out. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Oh yeah. So if you're just tuning into the live, I'm going to I'm going to keep saying it just because it's it could be shifted. I'm spoiling Spider-Man Homecoming. You don't want to be spoiled. Get out. Go watch the movie. Come back. Blah blah blah. Zidra Otaku Beef. So, I love the cameos. Hannibal Burris playing uh, a disinterested high school coach who like really doesn't care and <laughs> the kids have to watch these uh, like videos of um, like calisthenic like hey health is important kids but it's like starring Captain America and he's wearing that dopey suit that he's wearing before He's like, and then there's one of him, like he's like in detention and Captain America is like, hey, detention's a pretty cold place. But I'll tell you what, it's not as cold as being frozen in ice for 50 years. Like just little silly stuff like that. It makes the world, the Marvel Universe world seem real. Um, I like the, the Donald Glover cameo where he's like trying to buy some weapons, but they keep trying to sell him like these like crazy weapons and he's like yo don't try you trying to upsell me like i don't <laughs> he's like i just trying to stick someone up i'm not trying to make him go back in time 
and like when he actually confronts Spider-Man, Spider-Man tries to interrogate him, and he webs his hand to the car, and he's like, hey, yo, you need to fix this. He's like, no, that'll dissolve in two hours. He's like, yo, man, I got ice cream in here. Ice cream's gonna melt. He's like, you deserve it. You you are a criminal. You were, you were doing bad stuff. And he's like, two hours. He's like, oh, man, come on. Like, he adds that little bit of, like, levity to it without being corny, which... I appreciated and it was just kind of cool seeing him in the Spider-Man movie because he had the whole thing where back in 2000 and like 10 or 2000 and like 9 or something he was uh, they were pushing him to play Spider-Man because they were like hey Spider-Man could be a black guy Spider-Man is nerdy Donald Glover is nerdy and they're like yeah and he's like yeah Donald Glover for Spider-Man you know on Twitter when Twitter was pretty new and then people lost their minds but it was kind of cool. He plays Miles Morales on the animated version, and it was pretty cool seeing him as, with a cameo in this movie. Um, There's some other really cool stuff that I loved. I loved, I loved the the Karen, his suit. <laughs> How he and his friend Ned they hack into the suit and they go past the um, the training wheels, and he's like, I don't need training wheels. But then when he actually gets in there and he sees the hundreds and hundreds of different combinations, how he, she's like, do you want to go into combat mode? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, instant kill mode activated. He's like, what? No, no, not instant kill. And like, yeah, like Tony Stark designed this suit. He's fighting like freaking Chitari and like space demons. He, of course he put an instant kill mode, but he was anticipating him understanding this gradually but Spider-Man jumps into it. That was really fun. And just that scene where he's trapped in that room and there's all these like cuts. And he's like, how long have you been in here? She's like, 30 minutes. And he's like, 30 minutes? Brilliant. All right, let me do final thoughts because I'm getting long-winded. I could talk about this movie for a long time just because of my personal connection with this particular story how well it's done, how much it really means to me to see this live action version of basically Ultimate Spider-Man come to life. I felt like this was a great trade paperbacks like Hollywood or Carnage or uh, the one where Gwen Stacy first arrives. It's any and all of those and it felt very nice and self-contained and wonderful and well-executed, well-acted. Tom Holland is a very fantastic actor. He hits the marks. He knocks a lot of the emotional scenes out of the park. Uh, the scenes with him struggling, it really felt the helplessness. And just as him uh, really trying to understand who he was, for the first time in a moment of crisis where he never really tried to understood stand himself he's just told himself no i'm ready i'm ready i'm ready but then when he kind of understood this is what it really means when you're on your own and you're the one who has to help you i love that scene i thought it was really good it was really really uh desperate and sharp the scenes where he fucks up the whole fairy scene I thought it was amazing. He, he, no way he should have been on that ferry. But he felt like he had to do something. Tony Stark chewing him out. Uh, Aunt May chewing him out, but being desperate. Him going after this girl. And you know 
you're like, okay, this isn't Mary Jane. This is a girl called Liz. Maybe she's the new Mary Jane or whatever. But it don't it didn't work. And then at the end, you see that um, the girl that Zendaya was playing, her she says, my friends call me MJ, and she's the one that we like. They set her up as being the one that the geek in us really likes. She's kind of offbeat. She's kind of like a loner. She's kind of hanging out. She kind of says a couple things like, what? I'm not obsessed with him. You could tell she likes him, but she's really cool and she's just doing her own thing as opposed to the girl whom he feels like he should like. This is the girl that's better, that's good for him and not one that's just going to make him look good, which is... The girl that's, you know, she's really nice, but she's taking selfies, she's doing stuff like that, throwing these big parties. That's not who Peter Parker is at all. That's not who he should be with. And then a couple of other things, the reveal, that bad guy reveal, that the the vulture was Liz's dad, is the best reveal, the best surprise twist, and it is just... You didn't expect it. Then you just have Tarantino levels of tension for like 15 minutes to the point where once they drops him off at the school and he knows what's going on, he said, Liz, let me just let me just give him the dad talk. And he fucking pulls a gun out and just holds it casually and says, hey, so I want to thank you for saving my daughter. It means a lot as he's holding a gun. Super mafioso. Very cool. That is what I'm talking about when I say personally affects the hero. That's why it's going to matter because the bad guy affects the hero personally. What does the hero care about? Liz, here's an impossible decision that he has to make. And he makes it. He could have just gone to the prom or the homecoming dance and just hung out. But he didn't. He and his buddy, they figured out something. Um couple more things and I'll end it. I like the new Flash, even though he's not like the jock. He's just the new version of an asshole. You know, he's just the cool guy with a lot of money and a lot of, you know, chutzpah at a school for smart kids. I sort of like Ned. I didn't find his jokes to be as funny as others, but I think his jokes were a little bit under my age range. I think if I was younger, I would like him more, but he was really, really good. I wanted him to get a little bit more emotional, more emotional scenes, but, you know, more power to him. I just think overall, this is a really great addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I can't wait for Black Panther. I can't wait for Infinity Wars. I hope they all merge well. I can't wait for the Defenders. Marvel is killing it. DC, where are you at? For real. Because this, this is the movies. Yo, 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 what up? I'm Zid Raw, Z-I-D-R-I-W. Find me on all channels. I'm really liking this Anchor thing, man. I think I've been doing this for a long time. I hope that you guys are able to gain a little bit from this. I hope that if you just want to hear some otaku talk, where we talk about comic books, manga, video games, hip-hop, any of that stuff that I like, I hope that you guys like it too. You know, if you like this type of stuff, shoot me a shout-out. Go to uh, iTunes, pull up the podcast, leave me a review, give me some stars. If you want to give me uh, one star, that's cool. But if you want to give me five stars, by all means, I just like talking. So (laughs) 
I mean, that's just that's just the truth of what it boils down to. I like talking about this stuff. I don't get enough opportunity to discuss it. So I'm just going to shout my appreciation to you guys for letting me talk about this stuff in your ear. And I hope it can distract you from whatever uh, boring nonsense someone else is forcing you to do for the for for the for the hour for the next couple of hours. I hope you can um, get a nice welcome distraction. Uh, I really want to talk about deep down. And where it went, what happened, Capcom. I'm looking at you, Capcom. So for those of you who don't know, Deep Down was announced in 2013, 2014. Whenever the PlayStation 4 was announced was when Deep Down was showcased as this is coming to the PS4. It was made by Capcom when everybody was waiting for the sequel to Dragon's Dogma. If you haven't listened to any of my previous shows or podcasts before, Dragon's Dogma, I feel like, was the most closest RPG to the perfect RPG for Zid. It had everything that I wanted. It had an in-depth character creation tool. It had... Uh, super customization and it had an amazing action combat system which felt right in my hands I still have an, a desire to go back and play that game just for how well combat and exploration felt exploration felt real but it had some problems there was no other main city so it's not like you could go do a quest and then camp out in a new main city, get some stuff, then go do another quest in another main city. So it's not like you were building a continent like in other RPGs, which you could in Skyrim, where it's like, hey, if I feel like hanging out in Markarth, I'm going to hang out in Markarth. If I feel like hanging out at um, Solitude, that's where I'm going to make my, my station and my home, and I'll buy property here and stuff. You didn't have that in deep in uh, Dragon's Dogma. There was one main city, Grand Soren, and then if you go do a quest that takes you four hours to walk to, well, guess what, homeboy? If you want to sell and upgrade, you're walking your four hours back to Grand Soren. That's a problem. And there was some fast travel, so you could put up markers, but why are they why are they making it so difficult? From the get-go. And why do I have to do all this indecision? Why are you punishing me for exploring? That was the problem with Dragon's Dogma. To where if you'd venture out, you better make sure you had your P's and Q's. Also, fuck the pawn system. And yet, praise be to the pawn system. I love the fact that you can design and create your own party. And all that stuff. It's cool. I love you have designed your own pawn. But I don't want to have to go through the, the hassle of recruiting other people's pawns every time. It's pretty cool, but can't I just design all four characters in my party? Let me design all four of the pawns. Why not? I mean, that's basically what I'm doing anyway. I'm looking for a pawn that was properly designed. And then I have to go in and I have to upgrade him and all this stuff. All right. I'm getting way off topic because I'm talking about Dragon's Dogma. And I really want to talk about Deep Down because... Deep Down was going to be the next RPG for Capcom. It was like an RPG mixed with Assassin's Creed, where there's a guy in the future in like 2095, and he was having dreams about dungeon crawling, where he was going and exploring these dungeons, and there was dragons, and there was trolls, and this combat system that was kind of weird and unique. And they announced it in like 2013, 
And where is it now? Nowhere. No announcements. Is it coming out? We don't really know. And, you know, that's kind of a problem for me, I should say. So what happened with Deep Down? Now, Deep Down was what they announced, but what we were wanting to see was Dragon's Dogma 2. We were like, okay, they finally have the mechanics down. They have a great skeleton of a game. Can they improve upon it? Is this going to be their next go-to? Because previously, the go-to RPG for Capcom was Breath of Fire back in the day. And Breath of Fire 4 was the last real Breath of Fire game that came out. Breath of Fire 5 was this weird experimental game which I didn't play. Looked terrible. It got either love it or hate it reviews. I think the people that liked it were people that didn't really like Breath of Fire games. So they were like, this is the best one. It's like, cool. Maybe it's just the one that suits the type of games that you like. Because I think that the mechanics were so different, it threw a lot of people off. That's why I never picked it up. But I was like, all right, we got Dragon's Dogma. Dragon's Dogma, it's really fun. The play style is cool. Can we just get them? Here's what I want for Dragon's Dogma 2. Don't give us that. Instead, they announced, oh, well, we have Dragon's Dogma Online in Japan. And you can play with friends. And now you don't need a pawn system. It's a multiplayer game. Now, for people like me who don't give a damn about multiplayer games, I don't want to have to wait on anybody when I want to go experience a fantasy world. I just want to jump in, play at my leisure, and go forth. For Dragon's Dogma Online to come out, and you're like, okay, this is basically Dragon's Dogma, but it's an online version. Maybe that'll tide me over until I get a full, in-depth, single-player game. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So now we have Deep Down, and we're like, okay, maybe this is what they're going to do. The Dragon's Dogma, maybe they'll whatever, put it to the side. But we have this new series called Deep Down, which kind of feels similar. That same vein, the the exploration, uh, the fantasy setting, mostly dungeons. So here's how I felt when I originally saw the Deep Down trailer, was the dungeon aspect was cool, but I don't think there was going to be any open world exploration, which kind of bummed me out because that's some of my favorite parts. Yeah, I like going into dungeons, but it feels, after a while, I want to see my characters run in the sunshine and fight monsters out in the open fields. I want to get attacked by bandits. I want to have all of a sudden trolls come out of nowhere and try and take us on. Some of the coolest moments in Dragon's Dogma were when I'm just trying to get back from whatever quest, it's nighttime, so it's way more dangerous, and then all of a sudden you just see this giant thing bounding across the fields, and it's a chimera, and you can either try and fight it or try and get away, but you may not get away. There's tension. It's, it, it's, it was fun. Whereas if you're inside an enclosed area the entire time, it's cool, but it's like... There's no depth of variety. There's no things in the distance. There's no the, the the same. There's no other type of vulnerability that happens when you're out in the open fields. So I was thinking about that, and I was like, "But whatever, Capcom RPG." But they haven't said anything about it. It's 2017, man. There is no announcement there's no notice no anything 
So I read a really interesting comment on YouTube where a guy says he thinks that what they're going to do is instead of putting out Deep Down, they're going to start making it the sequel to Dragon's Dogma 2, which I don't know how they would do because they have all this futuristic setting where you're walking in an apartment and arranging furniture, which I didn't really care about anyway. Are they really going to scrap deep down and go all in on Dragon's Dogma 2? It would be nice. It'd be nice to be able to play that new game, but I don't know. Right now, it's just big question marks because these type of games, people are hungry for them. We're hungry for the exploration and we've played the Skyrim to death. So people are now doing Breath of the Wild. But come on, man. Come on, Capcom. You're behind. So I don't know where Deep Down is. I don't know if it's going to be a Dragon's Dogma sequel to. If it is, I will jump for joy. I will buy whatever console needs to be bought. But right now, it seems like it's one of those games that's lost in the ether. Is it a Duke Nukem? Is it uh, Final Fantasy Versus 13, <laughs> which is 15? Who knows? But, uh, you know, fingers crossed, deep down. Zid Raw, yo. Yo, what's going on? It's Zid Raw, no flaws. I really, I really want to talk about Dark Continent stuff. Here's why. One, Hunter Hunter is my favorite manga. Two, it's out of hiatus. I didn't want to talk about it too soon because it hasn't been out of hiatus that long. It may jump back in, but it seems like we're starting to kind of get the wheel turning again. There was a rumor last year that Tagashi's editor had said that some of the stuff that he's written for the Dark Continent arc is some of the best manga he's ever written. And that goes to show, I mean, the, 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 the chapter that they ended on right before he went on the most recent hiatus was everything just got squared away. We finally know who the princes are. We finally know what's going on. And you get these crazy, almost like intense, very, very tense splash pages of these new type of Nin creatures. And what I'm thinking about is how now we're getting some more chapters focusing on our favorite thinker and planner, Kurapika. And what he does is he figures things out. He puts plans in place prior to meeting these people so that he can be prepared. He uses superior deductive reasoning and logic in order to capture the most powerful people there are. He's also probably the most emotional uh, character in that he's super selfish, he's super self-involved, he can't be dissuaded from doing what he wants to do when he feels a certain type of way. There's no logicking him out of a decision that he's made. So now Karapika is essentially back and he's taking the lead. Gone is out of commission because as you guys know, with everything that happened with the Chimera Ants and the sacrifice that he made in order to... The sacrifice that he made in order to defeat Pito. 
his nin is basically broken right now. So when he discusses things with his dad, there's no sense of, hey, look, let me show you what I can do. Oh, cool, show me what, you're gonna show me? Let me show you what I can do. There's none of that. It's very strange and it's very weird. And so he's to the side. Kilua is gone. He's found contentment with, uh, with uh, what's, what's the child's name? Nani? Nanani? Something like that. So he's labeled himself her protector, which almost makes it feel like, okay, this is where Kilua is going to stay for a while. And he and Gon aren't going to go on adventures for a while. Even though that's what, that's kind of what we like. But now we're going to serious matters and we have the adults talking and then we have Kurapika going after the prince to get the last of his eyes back. For his ultimate goal, Leorio is going to the Dark Continent as a nin user and upping his doctoral skills, uh, working with Cheadle. It's just very, very interesting. I'm so excited for the dynamism of the characters. One of the things that Togashi is really able to do well is create characters that are compelling for one reason or another. So the characters you hate, you really hate. The characters you admire, you admire, but there's almost no judgment on who's who. It's you admire them or you don't. And that's the kind of the only judgment that he really displays is intelligence or lack thereof. So I'm very excited to kind of see where he takes us with the Dark Continent. And I'm not really talking about the latest chapters because we're just getting into them. But I hope you guys are excited as much as I am. And I just wanted to give a little bit of a shout out to Hunter Hunter as my favorite manga. With it coming back, with Togashi really jumping back in there. So definitely check it out. If you haven't read it, I envy you because you're in for one of the greatest journeys of a lifetime. Zid Raw Otaku.